Good morning. Good morning. Today's reading is in two parts. Uh, the, the first part is from Isaiah 35, and this is from the NIV Bible. Joy of the redeemed. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, and he will save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame deer, so the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Our second reading today is Luke 4, 14 to 21, again from the NIV Bible. Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where, he'd been, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture 
is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning again. I so love the Word of God. And part of the reason I love the Word of God is that it brings us into a connection with a living God, with a powerful God, with a God who cares for us, with a God who can touch us in the midst of our grief, and more than that, a God who brings healing in so many ways. Are there any writers in, uh, in this place? Anyone who, who has written a book or a story or a, a project for school? <laughs> Do you ever think about your life as being a story? Maybe you're speeding along, things are flashing past like they do on a train trip. Falling in love, marriage, first child, and then perhaps challenges that uh, you never thought were coming. And uh, perhaps you don't feel prepared for it. Perhaps the death of a child, or the death of a partner, or the loss of separation and divorce. Illness, the list goes on and on. Or maybe you've slowed down a bit. Maybe you're at that place where, where things are not going quite so fast as they used to. And you're asking that classic question, are we there yet? <laughs> I used to take my children on trips from Sydney to Queensland and just out of Sydney they said, are we there yet? <laughs> Whatever the speed, the stories that grip our imagination, I believe, are those that seem to involve a crisis, the possibility of total devastation. And the central characters in the stories face incredible trouble and strife. But somehow they overcome them. That's the tension, isn't it? That's why we buy books. <laughs> because we want to see something that goes beyond ourselves. We want to see how someone overcomes that strife. But the other thing that happens is that good stories involve character development, don't they? People change and mature in the midst of all the things that have happened. They find inner strength that they never knew they had. So, let's stop for a moment. What are the stories that grip your imagination? Is it Lord of the Rings? Or Harry Potter? Or Catcher in the Rye? Is it War and Peace? Girl with a Dragon Tattoo? Fifty Shades of Grey? I wonder whether that has a plot. <laughs> or is it The Pokey Little Puppy? Or is it a movie, The Revenant? Bridge of Spies? Or My Fair Lady? Lawrence of Arabia? The Avengers? Frozen? Or maybe Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Speaking from a Christian perspective, St. Paul in Romans 5 explains our challenges this way. We boast in the hope of glory because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. There's a progression. There's a bigger story. I keep telling God, 
that I've got enough character. You know, but he keeps giving me these new opportunities for growth. <laughs> I think of life, having been a writer, I think of life as a big V. <laughs> I don't know whether this makes sense. Uh, I'm moving bits and pieces into my house and I thought of cutting out a cardboard box and making a visual representation. But think of a big V, shape, uh, like an arrowhead, facing off to one side. And if we were to write a novel, it might look like that big V pointing to the right. You're <laughs> to the right. And at the top, there's an opening idea. At the bottom, there's a conclusion. And in the middle, there's a turning point, which the authors call a crisis. Now, did you know that when people are coding for the internet, and coding for computers, they actually do this very thing? They have an opening comment, an ending comment, and things stagger back until the central thing happens. But long before it happened in computer coding, it happened in the Bible. Take, for example, um, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, which was read from just a moment ago. There are 81 steps in that big V in the book of Isaiah. Now, the first step tells us that there's wickedness in the kingdom of Judah in uh, chapter 1, 1 to 20. The last step tells us that God is involved in our circumstances in 66, 1 to 24. And right at the middle of the crisis, uh, right in the middle is the crisis, and the crisis in this case is the siege of Jerusalem. And the, the verse for that is 29, 1 to 8. And did you know that that crisis actually happened? It happened when the Assyrian king Sennacherib attacked in 701 B.C., now, one of the things that we need to understand as we're reading this and as we're trying to understand it, as we're trying to understand what God is trying to say to us through it, is that the stakes here are much higher than just a regional war. If we only look at this as something that happened in history, something that was a regional war, as important as it is that those things actually happened. Nevertheless, this is much more. It's a life and death struggle at the center of the heart of true worship. Now, God had a plan to evangelize the whole world through his people. But everything here in this particular crisis is at risk. And so we, we, we have this tension you know, will the plan fall apart because God's people have sinned? Or because of the whims of an ungodly ruler? The plot thickens. Will it be resolved? When there's wickedness in our land, including Australia, it's tempting to think that we've lost the plot. It's tempting to think that everything is lost. But Isaiah asks us to consider the possibility that we are not seeing the full picture. Isaiah lived in, in the period of 740 to 700 BC. It's the period when written prophecies start to emerge 
strongly for the first time. You know the names. There's Amos, there's Hosea, there's Micah, and of course there's Isaiah himself. And another thing that happened was the downfall of Israel. You know, things are not good when your neighborhood, neighboring country falls apart. We know that today. And that's exactly what had happened. The Israel to the north had fallen apart and been taken. And the rest of the century we see Assyrian kings who were attacking the sacred places all over the place. They were taking whole populations out. And this created an instability in the Middle East that blew things apart. It sent refugees streaming throughout the world, either through escape or through captivity. And as I say that, I think of refugees flowing again from parts of the Middle East. But Isaiah points us to perhaps the root cause. He says, people have put their trust in wrong things. They've turned away from the one true God. They've made unbelievers their guides. And isn't that a temptation for us in our own time? It's so easy to look beyond the church, beyond a faith in God, and say, well, they must have the answer. They must have it together. The trends tell us that they know what they're doing, so we should follow them. We want to be liked, so let's compromise. <laughs> it happens again and again. And these people in this time had gone so far, had compromised so far, that they were sacrificing their children in the fires of the god Moloch. And Jesus describes this place, uh, this place where it happened as a place of unquenchable fire. He talks about that in Mark 9, 43. In other words, it's a picture of hell. Unquenchable fire. Putting our trust in ungodly things will lead us to the very edge of hell and perhaps even to hell itself. So we need to be careful who we trust. We've just had the election. And uh, it brought to mind that, that, you know, once upon a time we, we had so much trust in Britain. And now even Britons <laughs> said goodbye to, to its circumstances. And many people say, uh, said in the past that they were Christian, and they meant it. But now they say, well, I have no religion. In economics, uh, we once looked to the empire, and now we look to the USA, or we look to China. Who would have thought a few years ago that we would have looked to China for security? It's, it seems incredible, doesn't it? Well, you know, in ancient times, Israel and Judah were asking the same questions. Should we trust Egypt? Should we trust Persia? Alliances can be helpful, but we need more. Why do we trust one person and not another? I'm thinking of, and, and you may be thinking now, of personal relationships or things that happen at work. Um, why do we trust one person over another? Often our decision is based on past experiences, as we understand a person's character. Or it comes down to this. Do we believe that a person will actually do what they say they will do? And sometimes, of course, we're disappointed. 
If we're confident in someone, then fear is removed and hope is possible. And likewise, if we trust God through Jesus, fear is removed and hope is possible. Now, Isaiah doesn't argue against being logical. You know, he, he says, he doesn't pretend that trusting in God will always be easy. And I'm sure you can think of circumstances in your life when even as a Christian, even as a person fully committed to God, and yet circumstances are not necessarily easy, and trusting God sometimes seems difficult. But Isaiah says that despite facing those realities, trusting anyone else but God is actually deceiving ourselves. In the Old Testament, this thing, big, big V thing again, think of Isaiah, there's 81 steps that I mentioned. There are smaller Vs within that, and one of them is Isaiah 35, specifically verses 1 to 10. It starts with the desert, a parched land. It ends with those uh, telling that those who are redeemed by God that they will be filled with everlasting joy. And in the middle it says, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. And why is that? Because your God will come. A large part of pastoral ministry is saying to people, and meaning it, people with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, for your God will come. Now, this is not some sort of positive thinking mantra, and it's not just a palliative sentiment. When we do this, we actually speak peace, real peace, into a person's life. The coming of God, God's intervention, turns dryness and desperation into overflowing joy. God changes communities and he changes individual lives, doesn't he? And Isaiah is setting the stage for the arrival of Jesus Christ. What greater hope could they have or could we have than the arrival of Jesus Christ in our lives. You heard the reading of uh, the New Testament from Luke 4. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to a festival, but it wasn't any festival. This was a festival that was all about trust in, Je uh, trust in God. The festival was all about trusting God. And he stands out the front and he shouts out that he is the life-giving waters, John 7, 37. So he gives people a reason to trust. He reads from the book of Isaiah. The life of Christ within us turns dryness into destiny and deprivation into deliverance. So I have good news for you today. And the good news is that if you are poor, if you are brokenhearted, if you are captivated by something, if you are blind somehow, 
or if you're oppressed somehow, the good news is that you qualify. If you thought that you had your life totally together, if you had no need, you would not qualify for what Jesus brings. Is that right? I see four ways that we can respond. The first is that we can recognize the high value of what is being offered. The second is that we can understand the way prophecy works. The third is we can comprehend its relevance for today, for us. And fourthly, lastly, we can receive what is being offered. 1 Peter 1 says, For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you, what you see, but did not see, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear. We elevate these prophets to great positions of power and, and recognition, and they deserve it because they were obedient to God. Nevertheless, you have seen what they did not. Think how important that is. We can understand the way that prophecy works. The Old Testament prophets point to Jesus. There's a coherence to the Old Testament, and especially to the Old Testament prophets, when we think about Jesus. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He said they were about him. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, for all the promises of God, all the promises of God are found in him. We can comprehend the relevance for today. You know, as, as we read those verses that were up, up on the, 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 the uh, overhead, think what relevance does this have for me today? And in Romans 5 it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Would you like peace with God? Romans 5 says that because of what Jesus has done, because of what Isaiah promised would happen, and Jesus has fulfilled it, because of that, through his death and resurrection, we can have peace. You can have peace now. We know from experience and from scriptures that both curses and blessings come together. Do you remember those sections in the Old Testament where, where there's a whole list of blessings and a whole list of curses? Um, I, re I remember cringing uh, in one particular large church meeting where we had a visiting speaker from uh, Argentina. And, uh, and he was very much into this thing of blessings and curses. And he wanted... Everyone to say, I bless this, I curse this, I bless this, I curse this. And it was sort of hand-on-head territory. We're thinking, this is kind of getting out of control. <laughs> and finally someone had the, the courage to put their hand on his shoulder and say, we love you, brother, but we think that's enough. <laughs> we know that life comes with blessing and cursing. You know, it, it's just that's the way that life is. It's interesting, I think, that uh, I look at Isaiah 48 in particular, 48.9, and it, 
in the light of Jesus, it makes so much sense to you and me, to our lives. Because what it says is the God who is able to come with, quote, burning anger to lay waste to the land and destroy the sinners within it, this is in Isaiah 13, 9, is the same God who says in Isaiah 48, 9, for the sake of my name, I restrain my anger, lest I destroy you. Isn't that wonderful? In the midst of God saying, I can destroy you, and I have every right to destroy you, I have every right to leave you and not bless you, suddenly there's a turning around, there's a turning point, and he says, and yet because I am who I am, because of my nature, because of my name, and think about the name of Jesus, how important that is. Because of my name, the name of Jesus, yet I will have mercy on you. <laughs> we survive, we make it another day. <laughs> so as, as I said, we, we know from experience and from scriptures as well that blessings and curses come together. However, God offers us the same choice that he offered in Deuteronomy 30, 19. He says, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. But he, just, he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't, doesn't say like a, some sales representative, well, you know, you can have this product, A, or you can have this product, B. He says choose life. Choose life. Choose life now. And as I, I wind up here, I think that the whole Bible, in a sense, I talked about the big V and the structure that has a beginning and an end and a middle and a turning point or a crisis in the middle. In the middle of the Bible, the story revolves around Jesus Christ. He died on a cross. He overcame death and came back to life. Isaiah says that although Jerusalem, the very center of worship, the place of worship that God intended, not the place of worship that others have set up for themselves to serve. He says it will be attacked, however new life will spring up. He says a way will be provided for those who dare to trust God. And Jesus says, you know what? I am that way. Isaiah, Isaiah says there is a way coming. And Jesus says, I am that way. And Jesus wants to inhabit this place. He wants to inhabit your life Think of your life as a place of worship, as it should be. He wants to inhabit you as a place of worship, not just an add-on worship, you know, something that we come and we do our worship thing and then we go back to regular life. But our whole lives are supposed to be a life of worship. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that you've got to play the guitar while you're trying to clean the dishes, I know you're multitasking, but <laughs> that's ridiculous. But what I'm saying is that whole of life 
is or should be worship. And Jesus is saying, I want to come into every single centimeter of that place of worship, which is your life. He wants to fill you by His Holy Spirit. He wants to equip you for your trials and troubles, and He wants to equip you for your, for your future. So finally, we can receive what's being offered. Do any of you read the Passion Translation? It can be quite, uh, quite helpful. And in 1 Peter 5, it says, If you bow low in God's awesome presence, He will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in His hands. Pour out all your worries and stress upon Him and leave it there, for He always and tenderly cares for you. Do you find that comforting? But I note that there's a little word at the front. It says, if. So once again, God is saying to us, and to me, to everyone, there are blessings and curses. I can do this. I want to do this. But do you consent to me doing this? If you bow low in God's presence, He will eventually exalt you, and the timing will be in His hands. So pour it out upon Him. So the very last comment, so will you let Jesus have his big V victory in and through you? I hope so, because if you make Jesus the turning point of your life, in your crisis, then you will experience a much better ending to your story. And from the verse we've just read, we can have an expectation that God will act and rescue us. He will do it. So let's follow through. Let's do more than simply talk about God's offer. Let's put our trust into action here and now, just with a short prayer. Okay? Okay. Bless you. Well, dear God, we put our trust in you. We have uh, circumstances that challenge us every day. We have disappointments. We have things that go wrong. But in the midst of that, we know that, as Isaiah said, a way will be provided. And as you, Jesus, said, I am that way. Inhabit us, God. Take over our lives. Take over every bit of our lives, Lord. Empower us for our future. Keep us safe for our destiny with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.